Good morning, folks. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. Do you know what yesterday was? You know what yesterday was? Five years Saturday. Thank you. Thank you. It's all right. I can tell this is going to be a long day already. <laughs> yesterday, October 22nd, was the fifth anniversary of Recreate Church. Yay! That's awesome. We made it five years. Most church plants don't make it five years. And here we are, and here you are. I've been praying specifically for you to show up. Now, I didn't say your name necessarily. I, God, I figured God had your name written down, so uh, I'll let him handle that. But I was praying for you to show up here. I do need you to do me a big favor, though. There are these muffin things over here that I need you all to eat before you leave. Because they'll come home with me, and they're delicious. And they can't, even though Lucy made them, they can only be so healthy because they taste too good to be completely healthy. They're really good. And um, I, I know y'all love me, and, and, but there's getting to be more and more of me to love. So y'all need to help me out with that. I'm glad, I'm glad we can agree on some things because it, it seems we live in a world that is divided. We live in a world that feels so very divided. What do you think? Yeah, people are at odds over seemingly almost everything, and including some really important questions like, does pineapple belong on pizza? Oh man, we see, I hear the vision. Let's, show of hands, does pineapple belong on pizza? Does pineapple not belong on pizza? Look at us, a house divided. Okay, okay, let's, let's maybe... Maybe I started too controversially. Let me dial it back down just a little. Do hot dogs count as sandwiches? Or hear me out. Do hot dogs count as sandwiches? Or, structurally speaking, are they more akin to a taco? Is a hot dog a taco? Maybe. All right. Okay. I'll give you three choices. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Okay. Is a hot dog maybe a taco? Is a hot dog in a category alone by itself? Okay. We're still a house divided. All right. I would ask you your feelings about the Dallas Cowboys, but I'd hate to get in a fist fight today with somebody in the name of Jesus. I love Cowboys fans. It's a little harder. It's a little more difficult, but I still I love you all in the Lord. You can love anybody. You can love anybody. In the power of Jesus, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Okay, here's one. Here's let's bring it back easier, easier. All right. Um, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? So, 100. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses, little horses, or one horse-sized duck? Who wants to fight a hundred horse size, uh, duck sized horses? That's what I would pick because I can like kick them. I, have you ever seen a duck get after some bread? You won't be nothing but a big breadcrumb to that horse sized duck. So I'm not, that's what I'm saying. All right, one more. Do all dogs go to heaven? Sure, of course. Do all cats go to the other place? Okay, maybe there's a few exceptional felines, but ah, what am I talking about? <laughs> See, look, some of the cat, the cat people are like, I know where you live, preacher. 
cats. Cats are okay. I like cats. Cats are all right. I'm just allergic to them. I joke around, but we had a we had a, a little kitten that they they found out in the field, and we kind of took care of it until it found a place. So, anyway, looks like we have a divided house on a lot of important things. Well, sort of important. If those were the most important things that we disagreed upon, it might be okay. We live in a time when division seems to be the norm, where certainly there are people in the world who play on the divisions between people, and that's how they get and keep power. We, we live in a, seems like a nation, a culture that is politically, ideologically, socially divided. And we see all around us what happens when division is the norm. When a house is divided against itself, it begins to crumble. We see that. And that spirit of division does not stop at sort of the national level. It, it creeps into families, into households, into marriages, into churches too. Thank God Jesus came to heal the brokenness between people. I have seen some stuff that was so broken that Humpty Dumpty and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put it back together again. It was so broken, and yet God put it back together. We praise Him. In Jesus, people who might not have much in common can find common ground. We think of Jesus as a bringer of peace. Is He the bringer? Yes, He's the Prince of Peace. Absolutely. But He's also a source of division. Not that He goes around dividing groups but people have always been divided about him by and large the common people loved him in his own day they loved him he had this amazing way of connecting with people who's who, who knew what it's like to struggle who could feel their their need of redemption and knew that they had things that they needed to work on while jesus was on earth he spent lots of time with with people with messy lives if you ever know what it's like for life to get the best of you Jesus is your guy. He's your guy. And that's awesome, isn't it? Except that was part of his problem. One of the biggest criticisms leveled at Jesus during his own time is that he was allowing the wrong people to come to the party. That he was allowing the people who didn't measure up. The religious establishment at the time had a very clear idea of what you had to look like in order to join the club Jehovah. You had to be this tall to ride the ride, I guess. There were parameters. And Jesus was reaching these people who didn't look right, He didn't sound right, didn't act right, whose lives were, were a mess, who had a past, who had struggles, who, who had skeletons in their closet, and Jesus is reaching these folks. And they love Him. And the religious gurus did not love him for that. Jesus was all about people with messy lives. And that's good news. Because in case no one has told you today, you're a mess too. You're a mess too. Now the person beside you thinks they're not a mess. Just look at them and say, you know you're a mess. You know it. You know you're a mess. You're a mess, but you're my mess. If you, if you rode here with them, throw that in there. You're my mess. Because otherwise it's a long ride home. I don't want to do that to anybody. <laughs> the, 
Because Jesus loved people who didn't look the part, people who were sometimes unlovable, people he shared the good news of redemption with these people. There were some folks who thought he was off his rocker. Two groups, in fact. One of the first group is going to really surprise you. We're in Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 20. In those days, Jesus' ministry was growing at an astounding rate. There were so many people wanting to see Jesus that he couldn't even, he didn't have time to stop and eat him and his disciples. I wonder that Mark has put that in there. That's verse 20, which I didn't put up on the screen. The verse 20, it says they didn't even have time to eat. And you know who gave Mark the information for the gospel of Mark is probably Peter. And maybe that's Peter's nice way of saying that the disciples were getting a little hangry. You know what hangry means? So hungry you're angry. If you have a hangry person in your life, I hope you got a candy bar with you. Okay, just in case you've always got to have that. At work, somebody said this uh, one person got hangry. So uh, I like I wanted I went and got a peanut butter some peanut butter cups and like slid it through the window where they were at just in case, just in case of emergency. And that thing got gone, so I guess the emergency came. Anyway, they were so hungry, um, they didn't want time to eat. So it was tough. It was it was stressful already. Good kind of stressful, right? It's one thing to be so busy you can't eat doing something you you don't like, but it's another thing when you love it. So we pick up there at verse 21, Mark 3, 21. Some familiar faces showed up in the middle of this hectic time. Verse 21, but then when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we give you this time. May you teach us something from your word. You know what every heart needs here. So we, I, I lift all of us up to you. Teach us something about division. Teach us something about how you want to make us whole and how you came to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So his own people came to lay hold of him. His own people. This means, most certainly, his family. His family from Nazareth. Stories must have gotten back to Nazareth about all these crazy things that Jesus was doing, and they thought, that boy's lost his mind. we got to go get him. And we would say, how dare they? How dare they see it that way? But look at, from their, look at it from their perspective. Jesus grew up and lived most of his life in Nazareth, which was a very small town, smaller than Hillsville. You think everybody knows each other in like Hillsville, Galax, Independence, and places around here? It was much more in Nazareth. Everybody knew him. Probably most folks were related or, or through marriage. And Jesus grew up, and he was unusual in a lot of ways, but for the most part, he looked like most other people. He dressed like them. He, he talked like them. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't well-known. He was, for all appearances, just another guy working a blue-collar job as a carpenter. And then one day, he quits his job, and he walks out of town and he starts preaching in the fields and out by the lake shore with no visible means of supporting himself. And just whoever comes by, he'll talk to him. No wonder they thought something was wrong with him. Now imagine you look on Facebook one day and you see some guy you went to high school with and you see that he has run off and started a new life. And last time you talked to him at the last high school reunion, 
He was running a small home improvement business and seeming to have a pretty normal life. And the next thing you know, he's claiming to be the savior of the world. Would your first thought be, well, good for him? Or would your first thought be, that boy's cheese done slid right off his cracker? Yeah. Jesus wasn't the first person to claim to have been the Messiah either. You see, the Romans were ruling the world at the time, and, and anybody who claimed to be able to get rid of the Romans, who were, who were dominating Israel, anybody who said, hey, let's, let's get Israel out from under Rome's thumb, they could gain a following, and it would last for a little while, and um, then either the, the, the party would break up, or, or the person would lose their mind entirely, or the Romans would show up, because the Romans would put up with a lot of stuff, but they would not put up any with anything that looked like insurrection, and they would come in, and they would crush it, and that would be it, and it would be over, and the person would be dead. So, when Jesus' family came to retrieve him, they weren't thinking that they were enemies of the gospel or anything. They were thinking, we got to go get this boy before he hurts himself. You ever have those moments like, ooh, man, there's off, way off in left field. What's going on here? And we got to save this boy from himself before he gets hurt or before he embarrasses the family. He's already embarrassing the family because in those days, you absolutely did not do anything to irritate the religious leaders. We live in a time now where culturally it's pretty acceptable to, to make fun of religion or religious people or religious leaders, but not in those days. You just did not do that. So it was very embarrassing to his family that he had this habit of not exactly arguing with the religious authorities, but he didn't play along when they were wrong so they came to lay hold of him the scripture says and that terminology is used in other places in the new testament to indicate someone being arrested they were coming to get him even against his will to take him back home to nazareth until he came to his senses of course we know the secret jesus wasn't crazy unlike all of the pretenders he was able to prove his claims. He proved who he was. And he'll still do that for you. Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And if you give him the chance, if you give him the opportunity, he will prove the reality of his power and his love for you. Of course, though, I found that if you really follow the teaching of Jesus, some people will think you're crazy. Have, have, have you ever had that moment? It's fine when you're, you know, you're showing up for church service. That's pretty normal. We do that. That's okay. Show up for church service, wear your church clothes, do the church things, talk about religion. But when you start doing some of the stuff that Jesus said about loving your enemies and turning the other cheek, that sort of stuff, people will start to think that you're, that you're crazy, that you've lost it. When you start giving sacrificially when it's really sacrificial that's when people will start to say Ooh, i don't know about that when when you start getting involved in the lives of people who are messy and trying to help them and and really wading into the deep water even other church people will start to think that your cheese has slid off your cracker 
as well. You want some good news though? We're not the crazy ones when we follow the teaching of Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus, um, they didn't talk him into going home. They didn't manage to drag him off. He kept on preaching the good news about new life, but his family wasn't the only group that thought he was out of his mind. There's another group here, and we see them in verse 22. Can I get you guys to get the shades back here? I forgot about saying something about the shades this morning. The glare is killing me. And it goes like this, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he has cast out the demons. Beelzebub. All right. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus at odds with the religious establishment. Um, he, and that's something you just didn't do in that culture. And they were, just, they were tired of him. Now, he was right and they were wrong. They're probably sick of him making them look foolish. They prided themselves in knowing the scriptures. And they were the ones, the scribes were the ones who made the copies of the scriptures. So they knew what it said, but they didn't get what it said. They, they didn't quite have the lyrics right. You ever sung a song for years on the radio, sung along for years on the radio with something, thinking you know all the lyrics? And then someone says to you, I don't think that's what that song says. And you're like, no, no, it does. It says, hold me closer, Tony Danza, right? It, that's exactly what Elton John is saying. And then, and then you get to thinking, hold on, let's go, uh, let's go look it up. Let's Google it. Some of the young kids don't know what it was like to sing the wrong lyrics for decades. For decades. And then you Google it. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, no. And then you Google it and you find out, wait, they were right? And I was wrong, but you made such a big deal of it. You can't go back and tell them they were right. So you just act like you always sang it right the whole time. It's like, oh, I see you've got the song there. So what do you mean? I've been right this whole time. What you talking about? That's sort of what happened to the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew the song, but they had the lyrics wrong the whole time. And Jesus said, ah, hold on. Look here. Look what the scripture really says. But they were very embarrassed. They were upset and they were sick of him, him showing them up, even though that's not really what he's trying to do. He's just trying to demonstrate the truth. So they did the most grown-up thing they could and started rumors about him. They went back to middle school and started a rumor. Now notice, they could not deny that he was casting out demons. They could not deny the life-changing power of Jesus. All they could say was, yeah, well, yeah, he's casting out demons, but he's using the devil's power to beat up the devil. So that's why he can do it. They said he was possessed by Beelzebub. What a name. That is the name of an old Canaanite deity, and the name literally means the Lord of the Flies. Pretty gross stuff, if you ask me, the Lord of the Flies. And in Jesus' day, that had become a way of referring to the devil. So if you see Beelzebub in the New Testament, it's talking about the devil. It's not talking about some separate thing. It was just shorthand for the devil. And um, it does not appear that they were brave enough to say this stuff to his face. They were just spreading these rumors. So what does Jesus do? i got to love what Jesus does. He just called them together. It is a weird thing. Have you ever had anybody say some things about you and you just go to them and talk to them about it? Wigs them out so much. They're like, 
no, no, I didn't mean it that way. I'm just like, okay, but you said it, you know, not like in a confrontational way. I had somebody complaining about me to someone else one time. This is a long time. It had nothing to do with church. It was playing ball. I was playing too rough. I was playing football too rough. When I was a grown man in my 30s, playing football, which you probably shouldn't have been doing anyway. And um, some playing too rough. And I went and said, I'm, hey, man, I'm really sorry. And that person had no idea what to think of that. That was a weird, awkward conversation. I'm glad I had it, though. It was a lot of fun. So Jesus is having this awkward conversation with these guys. He calls them all together and talks to them face to face. Now, these religious gurus should have been able to understand complex theology, but they couldn't even understand simple logic. He just gets with logic. He uses a parable here. This is the first time we see a parable in the book of Mark. There's lots of parables that Jesus told. A parable is just a story that illustrates a more important truth. And we're going to see a lot more of that as we go. So he says, hold up. You're telling me that I'm using the power of Satan to cast out Satan. How does that make sense? And let's read here, verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Some people think that was an Abraham Lincoln quote because he quoted that leading up to the Civil War. A house divided against itself cannot stand, but he was quoting Jesus. And we see that that's truth. If a house divided against itself cannot stand, and I'm afraid that we are living in times where the truth of that will be all, all around us. We're certainly living very divided times culturally, nationally. And what will be the result? Well, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. It's not that hard to interpret. It's pretty plain. But it's also not that hard to interpret what Jesus was saying here. Okay, we got premise A. A kingdom divided against itself will fall. Okay, premise B. The kingdom of Satan, does it look like it's still getting along pretty well? Is the devil still very much in business? Is he, he's not about to shut his doors and give up and file for bankruptcy? No. So if a kingdom divided against itself will fall, and Satan's kingdom certainly hasn't fallen, then Satan is not divided against himself. It's pretty straightforward logic there. Um, Jesus could not have been using the power of the devil to fight the devil because the devil's kingdom is not divided against itself. The devil ain't going to fight himself. Even the devil has sense enough not to fight against his own household. If only people had as much sense as the devil. Because human beings, we fight against our own household. These days, it feels like our nation and culture and even our homes can be so divided. The devil does not divide forces against himself, but he loves to cause division in families, in churches, in nations, in societies, in communities. He loves that stuff. He even created division in heaven. He even created division amongst the angels. And from what we can tell, some of the angels sided with the devil. We look at the division around us 
and it hurts our heart and we see the problem, but we really only see part of the problem most of the time. When you think of the division, you, I don't know about you or anyone else, but I, I think about the, the other people who are causing the division. If you're at odds with someone, what is your first thought? If they would just agree with me, we'd be fine. If they would just have some sense. If the people on the other side of this division would get their head out of a very dark place, and y'all can interpret that as you will, if they'll get their head out of the dark place, then we'll all be okay. It'll be much, much better. Hey, maybe that's true sometimes. Maybe the people who you have a point of division with, maybe they are wrong. Maybe. But then there's the other little problem. How much control do you have over that person to change their behavior or their thoughts or their attitudes? Pretty much none. If you think you're going to change another person, you are going to use your power to change another person, good luck. Good luck with that. God can change people. You can pray for them. God can change people. You probably won't be able to change a person. You won't be able to to change it. There's really only one person whose thoughts and attitudes and actions you can really change. Do you know who that person is? Yourself. You're the only one. You're the only person that you can really change. And let's just face it, you've got your hands full with you. You know you're a handful, don't you? Now, someone's going to say, I've been telling you, you're a handful for years, but the preachers confirmed it today. You're a handful. Pray for the people who you're in division with. But understand, God wants to work on your heart too. There may be things that you need to take ownership in, in that. You be who you are, and you're going to say, but preacher, you don't understand. These people need Jesus so bad. They wear socks with Crocs. That's got to be a sin. Anybody wear socks with Crocs? Not a sin. Just doesn't look good, in my opinion. Not a sin, though. Not a sin. Pretty weird. Not a sin. No. Say, those other people, they need Jesus so extra much. Maybe that's true. But your own need is greater than you think. And I want you to remember who the real enemy is. Real enemy, the one behind the division. The real enemy is not your family member who's hard-headed and mean. Your real enemy, it's not even those other people on the other side of the culture wars. The real enemy, even though it may be hard to convince ourselves, the real enemy isn't you know, some government or covert force. It's... It's not even the people who vote the wrong way. The Scriptures tell us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The real fight is against the powers of darkness. Against the spirit behind all this division. Do you think this division just comes out of nowhere? It comes from the devil. And be sure that the devil wants to divide your house. He wants to divide your family. He wants to divide our communities and it Seems like he's doing a pretty bang-up job of dividing our societies, our nation, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. Good news, though. 
Verse 26, how does this end up? If Satan is risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. He has an end. And let me tell you, Satan's end won't be worked by Satan. The day is coming when Jesus is going to end Satan. Have you read the end of the book? Have you skipped ahead? Spoiler alert, the good guys win and they win big and the devil is locked up and the devil is done and that is going to happen. The devil has an end. He's already been defeated at the cross, but he has not been dethroned just yet. He has a lot of power in this world until this very day. But Jesus, Jesus is going to give us one more quick illustration, verse 27. And it's actually good news. It's worded a little strange. We're going to unpack it. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. All right, if you want to rob somebody who is strong, you need to be stronger. If a strong man is home and you come to rob his house, or strong woman, I'll give you all that. I won't, I won't, I won't stand on that point. If a strong person is home, and you come to steal from that person, you're going to have to be stronger. You'll have to incapacitate that, that person before you can carry off their stuff. And let's see what Jesus is talking about here. Who's the strong man? Who's the strong man in this parable? It's the devil. The devil is the strong man. And who is the stronger one who comes to the devil's house? Jesus is. Jesus is stronger there is no sense in denying that the devil is powerful and intelligent and strong and he's really good at what he does and he's been doing it a long time. The devil is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. Say it with me. Jesus is stronger. Jesus has entered into the house of the strong man. He's entered into the domain of the devil, which isn't hell, by the way, theologically speaking. He's never actually been there. The devil's hanging out here on this earth. Does it seem like maybe he's hanging out here on planet earth, causing trouble the whole time? Absolutely. But Jesus came into the devil's house and has bound the devil, has beaten up the devil, has bound him through his sacrifice, and Jesus has plundered the devil's goods. And what exactly has Jesus plundered from the devil? Souls. He's come to, to take back the souls that the devil has taken. Jesus has come back to take from the devil what he has stolen, what he has divided. So today, let's lift up to Jesus those things that have divided our families. The way the devil wants to divide our families, let's lift that up to Jesus. The way the devil wants to divide our churches, lift that up to Jesus. The way the devil wants to divide our nation, Let's lift it up to Jesus. Let's pray that the Lord will heal what is broken and take back from the devil what he has taken. I just want to go in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, God, we live in times where we feel the division. We feel it so much. And there is enmity between people. Lord, we pray for healing. Healing of the divisions that the devil has caused. I pray for the households that are receiving this message that the places where there is division that you would bring healing. And I want to pray for the churches that are divided that you would bring healing. And I pray for our nation that feels so divided 
that you would bring healing. I don't know what that looks like exactly, Lord, but I pray that you will do it. God, we're not so far from an election. And I pray that you'll give us wisdom and a heart to seek your will, to choose the right leaders. May you guide us, Lord. God, we give it all to you. We thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So next week, we're going to tackle a controversial subject. You ever heard of the unforgivable sin? Unforgivable sin, rooting for the Cowboys. Not really, not really, not really. Please don't hurt me. It's not even wearing socks with Crocs. The unforgivable sin. We're going to talk about that next week. What is that? What's that mean? All right. Hey, God bless you. That's all I got. No evening service today. So if anybody asks, we'll be back here next week. Y'all have a good one. Take care.